Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. Okay, so last week, uh, conversation just kind of led us down this road. I was just curious, kind of, what's uh, one of, if not your favorite, hockey-related uh, piece of literature or nonfiction that you've read recently? If any. Well, let me just throw out the disclaimer for myself. I am I am a strange hockey fan. I know most hockey fans do this. Um, I am not that interested in reading about hockey or watching movies about hockey. I am mostly just in it to watch the games. So I don't really have a lot to contribute on this front, I don't think. <laughs> um, for me, it's it's easy, right? It's it's by far and away the best I've read in quite some time, and it is the Down Goes Brown history of hockey. Um, uh, where the hell is I going with this? Probably, I think it's largely because while Game Change is an unbelievable book, it is so hard. It's so hard to to read because, um, and it's not hard in the sense that it's hard to follow. It's just difficult to picture. Especially the opening where he talks about they do the the um, um, post mortem analysis on the brain, and they he gets into the sort of clinical process of talking about what CTE looks like and all of that stuff. It just I, I you know it it hits a little too close to home, and it's sort of like how do I disassociate the fact that I love watching this sport? You know, and and I've loved playing it throughout all of my years too, when I could, with the fact that it's literally killing people. May not be immediately on the ice, but you know, by the nature of the sport, it's causing irreparable harm to parts of your body, and and not parts that are easily reconstructable like knees or hips. You know, those are those are, I guess, by modern science, inconveniences. You know, we can't fix the brain. So uh, it's, it's a fantastic book, but it's just, it's really hard to, to get through simply because of that. Whereas I, I love his writing. I love Shaq, Sean's writing. That the, it's, it's, it's that pragmatic approach of how stupid this league is and how much you, and how much you love it because of how stupid it is. And it's just for me, and I don't know how far into it you are, Pat. Um, the the way he's got it sort of constructed and walking through, it, it's it's almost like a, a set list at a concert. You know, there's all these great, you know, they play the hits sort of scattered throughout, and then there's a little lull when they bring out a couple of songs that might not be familiar. That's when he's talking about sort of the lockout. Everything sort of gets really depressing and everything, and then he ends on this really sort of great high note, the on, you know, sort of the the big rock finish and the and the encores, and it's I I actually went and um, got the audio book where he actually does the narration, and that was my that was my second read through as I throw the headphones on. It's I love him. That's all I can say. It's just absolutely hysterical because there are moments in time that I've known about for so long as a hockey fan, but never really known like the nitty gritty details or have never gone and researched the nitty gritty details. And he's done that for me. And so hearing about how, you know, air force one basically saved the avalanche 
was, you know, spoiler alert, Harrison Ford <laughs> saves the day. Um, that kind of stuff was just hysterical to me. Because, you know, I, and I'm sure it's not exclusive to hockey, but hockey is such a silly sport to begin with that it just makes sense that the league itself is so silly. Right. Um, I think I agree with Cassie for the most part when it came to hockey books for the longest time. So much of them are just navel gazing, historical look backs. Like, I have a copy of Ken Dryden's other book, The Game. I, I still haven't opened the cover for whatever reason. I bought it on sale one day. I think I was going to read it. But for whatever reason, I've kind of been put off by it. Um, just because it's heralded as some great, you know, look into the world of hockey from, unfortunately, the 1970s. And for whatever reason, you can't open up any children's book about hockey without seeing Wayne Gretzky, even though my kids will never, ever see him on anything other than YouTube highlights. Um, so I've. I've kind of been searching down another road and kind of my favorite book that I've picked up recently is, uh, or I guess it's been about a year, but I picked up uh, Ken Reed. He's a anchor at Sportsnet. He wrote this book called one night only, which is, uh, just a series of conversations with different people who only played in one NHL game. And it's, I kind of like weird and quirky stories, like, if you look at most hockey movies, kind of bore me as well. Like, Slapshot is highly regarded because it does give you a small glimpse into kind of the personality and the kind of the atmosphere of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so this book kind of gives you a glimpse into some of those same stories. Like, one of my favorites is... Um, how oh i'm trying to flip through it and find it uh there's a story with don waddell who was called up by the la kings and played one game and then for 20 30 years could not find or get his game worn jersey and eventually someone along the line found it and gave it to him uh and you know, here here's a name who you've you've heard a thousand times, mainly you know as a assistant GM back in Detroit or you know the old Thrashers GM, but then uh, one of my favorite stories was a guy by the name of Brad Fast who made history by um, scoring the goal that secured the last tie in NHL history. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and whose career was kind of railroaded by the 0405 lockout, um, where he really didn't make a a career or, or a prolonged career out of his late season call up with a garbage Carolina Hurricanes team back in uh, 0304. So it's just. I don't like the long narratives that some of the books out there, like a, a Gretzky autobiography doesn't do much for me. Um, Thunder and Lightning, the book by uh, Phil Esposito, doesn't work it for me. But things like what, what Ken has, just a bunch of short stories, and he's also written a book about um, players' hockey cards. Yeah, um, that's which what I was going to say. I've been meaning to get to. And he, I, 
he's either recently or in the very near future has the follow-up book coming out. Yeah, um, part part two is out. Part two is out. Okay. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read it yet. I read part one, and part one is part one's got some beauties in it. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, I have not read One Night Only yet, and I'm meaning to get to it. I started with I started with Hockey Cards Volume One. So, see, it's funny you should bring up Philip Esposito, Pat, because um, so I don't really enjoy like hockey books or sports books generally because they're often sanitized <laughs> oh just like a history book yeah it's a story someone wants to tell you and and so you know of course phil esposito has a book but i was in the lightning press box a few years ago and i saw phil esposito and i was like oh man i would love to sit down and listen to his stories you know so it's not it's not a matter of I don't want to know. It's a matter of I want the uncensored version. <laughs> are you are you sure? Because with Phil, you know I what do. you get, right? You know. Oh yeah, that was, no. That I was do. this dame, right? She had yams and went all the way down to there. Oh yeah, no, I do. That's that's exactly why I want the <laughs> this actual like story. You know, if it was an and even if they did like an oral thing where, you know, it was recorded, it was an audiobook type format, I still wouldn't want to hear it because it would be sanitized. <laughs> I want I want I want the raunchy story straight out of their mouths. That's what I want. And so nothing else is gonna be good enough for me. You know what I think though is I think that that line of demarcation though, I think with, with players of Phil's era and prior. I don't think that Santa, that that sort of family-friendly aspect is as prevalent as it is with the kids today because Phil doesn't care, right? No, that, he doesn't. Those 60s and 70s guys, they were it, right? The 80s guys is when you started to see the marketing and image management stuff come along with it. So they were trying to set themselves up as much for post-career, um, post-hockey career type endeavors as anything. So you can't have, you know, Wayne Gretzky telling you some of the infamous stories about how the Oilers celebrated, you know, any one of their four Stanley Cups, especially the first one, um, in the uncensored version because it puts him, it would put him in a bad light and it would put some of these other players in kind of a bad light. And, you know, it's that sort of, the 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 only sort of parallel I can come up with is sort of like the dirt from Motley Crue. You know, the the book mm -hmm. was an unabashed look at some nasty stuff those guys did, and they were they were willing to put it out there. Now the movie came out and they sanitized it, mm -hmm. even though they said they were fighting to prevent that. It came out sanitized, but the book is just you know good, bad, and indifferent. They don't care. Right, they are where they are, and it, nobody's going to be able to take anything away from them because they're kind of done. Whereas mm -hmm. some of the guys that are writing books lately, and even Ken Dryden to a certain degree, he's got a reputation to uphold, and you know, he's got this sort of post-hockey playing career career to think about. Whereas Phil's like, "Hey, toots, baby, I don't care." You know? <laughs> I mean, he he does color commentary for the Lightning on their radio yeah. broadcasts, but that's yeah. about as far as it goes. Yeah, and they aren't going to fire him because of some, you know, some part of his book, 
you know, from 40 years ago. Right. Because he's Phil, right? I mean, he, he was part of the team that brought hockey to Tampa. Mm-hmm. He's got a statue. Yeah, exactly. So I, but I agree with um, both of you in the sense that by and large, I stay away from the ones that are navel gazing too. Like I read the game from Dryden and it was dry. You know, it, 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 there wasn't a lot of great insight that I pulled from it. Whereas game change because he's, he actually takes himself out of it and looks at the game and it's kind of critical. And I think to your point, Cassie, that's kind of what I was hoping would be in there is that here's someone who doesn't have a vested interest in the NHL, but does have a vested interest in hockey who can kind of slap around the way leagues at almost every level are being run. So, I mean, it was, it's, it was nice. I think the, I think there was parts he held back, but it was, like I said, it's still, it's still a difficult read, but it's to me, it was worthwhile, but I still put Mac and book way over it. It's just more fun. Yeah, you have to have fun. I, I don't, that's the other thing too, is that so many people write books and they try to capture the, the history of it. And so they're so serious about it. And it's like, oh, come on, at the time, were you really this serious? I doubt it. I doubt it. Enjoy it a little bit. Have fun. Well, and that's hard to do. Yeah. Know? Because again, you know, it really is, it really does come down to that whole, I've got an image to uphold. I've got, you know, Maybe if they were late 60s or 70s or something and someone sat them down, they might change and you know mm-hmm. they might open up a little bit because, you know, the older you get, the, the higher your, your, uh, your DGAF meter is. So <laughs> might be willing to let out a few more of those little ribald stories from when you won a cup or when you were you know, at the NHL awards or on some weird road trip or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's as much as anything, it's the, it's the commoditization of the players. that I guess that is hurting that, that aspect, getting a look into their lives and personalities. They should be writing it down when it happens and then publishing it when, you know, posthumously. I, you know what? I think it'd be that's, hysterical. That's a, brilliant, actually. Because I think if it weren't for pressure from other guys, I think half the guys wouldn't care if their stories were out there. They're just, I'm sure there are pressures from people still in charge with the league that, you know, they want to suppress these stories for as long as humanly possible before the floodgates open. And we really get the inside stories into some of the inside, inside stories. Yeah, I mean, the... And I understand that, because you still have, like, Colin Campbell, you know, running, doing things within the league. And you know he's got, like, all kinds of, like, dirt on him. Because he played hockey, they all do. So... So yeah, there. If you have someone talking about their story, then that's going to rope in like half the league that they played with, and you know maybe that half of the league doesn't want to be a, you know, have their stuff published. So I mean, I get it. I understand why it's not done. And and like Patrick was saying, it's all about um, future careers and and not you know making life harder for themselves 
than it already is going to be post-hockey. But at the same time, you know, that's not stuff I want to read, so I'm not going to. And, <laughs> and I mean, I'm just one person, of course. I'm sure that there are a number of people that's not a problem with. But, but yeah, so that's that's really just why I don't. I have the Rick Riley Gretzky book, and I read it on a um, I read it on a flight. Actually, I was flying back from Maryland to Seattle, and way, 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 way back, pretty much like the year it came out, and completed another book. And I mean, there wasn't, you know, it was sort of like, okay, I didn't get anything from it. You know, it was sort of like they just aggregated all the public information about Gretzky and got his perspective from a couple of parts of key moments in his life to that point. And it was like, I'm glad I got this for cheap at the university of Maryland bookstore, <laughs> <laughs> you know, not that it was navel gazing or anything, but it was almost like it wasn't written. You know, I think it was more of a case of it wasn't written for me. It was written for people who know nothing about Gretzky. Right. Or may have just been sort of tangential hockey fans and wanted to read more about this, you know, this guy that kept hearing about. So, uh, yeah. Wait, are we talking books or in-game coverage of hockey games? Uh, I mean, <laughs> six of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah, it's all about the same. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't... It, but to, I'll defend them to a little bit to this degree. Is It's sort of like, how do you make coverage for people that are quote-unquote experts in the sport as fans versus people that just sort of stumbled across it. And the prime example is, is the Sharks Vegas game um, playoff game Saturday on this past Saturday in the Stanley cup playoffs um, where Vegas rang up three goals in the first period and the Sharks stormed back to ring up three goals and tied it before the period was over. It was chaotic. And I had a buddy of mine who's not a hockey fan by any stretch of the imagination literally stumbled across the game and, and was just like, holy crap, this is wild. Is this what hockey's like? And I said, oh, that's kind of what playoff hockey's like. Mm -hmm. And he and his family actually sat down and watched the rest of the game. Now, that game was probably not a great example of everything that's good about hockey, but it was a great example of how chaotic that sport can be and how fun and entertaining and fast it is, even from a television side. So I can totally see why and I'll use the phrase dumbed down, the coverage is, because those are people they're trying to get. But I'm, I'm going to stop before I go on a rant about the people they choose. So, because <laughs> I all think we, I think we all know where that's going. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing that's always like annoyed me. I mean, you bring up a good point, Patrick, is that um, a lot of people will channel surf and they'll come across hockey, and, and if it, especially during playoffs, you know, it's something that's going a lot faster than, say, a baseball game that's going to catch their attention, and they're going to sit there and watch it for a few minutes. And that's always been my complaint about the NHL not going head-to-head -head with NFL games on Sundays, because there's, like, a ton of NFL games that go on on Sunday, but people are constantly channel surfing through those games because they're waiting for their game. Or they're watching a game that they're kind of interested in, but it turns into a blowout and they don't care, so they're looking for something else to watch. And I think it would be a great idea to do that, to have, you know, like 
hockey all day on Sunday so that to capture those people. But you know, the NHL is timid. They're not going to go head to head with the NFL. Oh, they're so afraid of competing with any other sport, any other sport. It's it. Yeah. I mean, it's the reason why the league starts as late as it does in, you know, early October when, I mean, there's no reason the regular season shouldn't start in September. There really isn't. There's no reason to have like six preseason games either, but they still do it. Well, hockey related revenue, yada, yada, yada. Oh, I know. I know. I mean, at least they've cut the, uh, the actual preseason down. The um, guys report are reporting later, so they're not there for two weeks before the first, you know, playoff preseason game, I guess. But, but yeah, I mean, there's really, if you don't have a good idea of your talent by the second or third game in, then another three games isn't going to help you. Mm, it's as much about giving kids a taste of experience, not so much assessing talent. Right. There's there's two sides to that is they bring them up, they let them go through a professional training camp so they can instruct them on what they need to do, you know, when they're back down in the AHL or back in junior, you know, if you're going to elevate your game to where we need you, this is where we expect of you. This is what you're going to need to do going forward. Right. So it's as, you know, because it's the, it's it's the old sort of catch twenty two. How do I get experience without a job? If I can't get experience, I can't. Or if I can't get a job, I can't get experience. Right. And they and they try and sort of at least get some of that in by bringing them in. So I'm I don't think there needs to be six games. You know, there needs to be three, maybe at the yeah. most. But you know, Pat's right. You know, it's, it's it's as much about starting to get some revenue in at the gate and. And concessions. Yeah. Well, I know, well, and that's that's because hockey is a uh, a uh, ticket-driven revenue sport. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, the tickets make the difference between profits and not profits, at least in the U.S. I mean, that's not true everywhere. I think the Canadian deals. The corporate sponsorships and major markets keep the teams afloat more than I think we really realize. Um, but then there are teams with you know 90 people hockey operation departments, so they they got to spend that money somehow. I mean, well, any professional, well, most professional sports, not just hockey but hockey's on the lower end. Most professional sports don't make money for the owners. It's a prestige thing. Um, I mean, NFL, yeah, more of the NFL teams do, but but not all of them. So it's if you go into a sport and wanting to buy a team, you're not doing it because it's going to make you money. Right. Okay, let me let me turn the table. So we, we briefly talked about books, and Cassie, I think you mentioned that you're not very much into hockey movies. And I think Patrick and I are kind of the same vein. But mm-hmm. if someone were someone not named Jay Baruchel were to make a modern day hockey movie, what would you like to see that about? Uh, I have no answer for you because. 
I don't think I'd get to see what I'd want to see, if that makes any sense. No, it does. Uh, it, you know, it's sort of like um, uh, if anyone's familiar with sort of Formula One. Formula One, there was a movie called Grand Prix, which had James Garner in it, mm-hmm. which they actually went around and filmed on the Formula One circuits generally around the same time that the F1 races are there. So they had unfettered access to the paddocks and the, you know, and all of that stuff. And it was, you know, it was kind of a, a heart, a little bit of a harsh look in 60s style, harsh look at formula one. There's no way that movie got made in the eighties and above. Yeah. And that's kind of why I think Slapshot sort of that Slapshot sort of that uh, time capsule, right? Is there's there now it's an exaggeration of that side of hockey, but you know, there's still a core of truth to what's going on in Slapshot. There's no way that movie gets made today because you're not going to have access. You're not going to have, you know, nobody's going to let their guard down enough to show you what goes on in the locker room sort of when the cameras are, when, when the TV cameras are off or access to the players are going to show you what happens when the TV cameras are off. The closest we'll ever get has been the 24 sevens. And and even those are tidied up around, you know, to take the rough edges off. So I uh, I would rather they not make the movie to start. <laughs> you know, I think there are characters that you could probably make movies of, but as a sport in general, eh. I don't I don't think there's anything I'd really want to see because it's 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 gonna be too polished. Everyone's gonna want to protect their image. And not only that, it's like these players are all conditioned that when a camera's on, they you know to be a certain way. <laughs> so, you know, it's it. They're still not letting, like you're saying, their guard down. So yeah. I, I mean, for me personally, I I can't imagine any any kind of movie that I would enjoy that was based on hockey in some fashion. I mean. Miracle comes close, but I'm not like a huge fan of Miracle either. I mean, it's a good movie and it's mostly true, but it's still sanitized and it's still got some fictional parts to it. And and that's fine for what it is. I, I, I have no problem with any of that, but um, I'm really just in it for the competition for the most part, the sport. Yeah, I... I think coming around, I think the better, instead of a movie, I think the 30 for 30s tend to be better looks at the sport. Those type of documentaries tend to be better looks at the sport than anything that would be sort of produced at any level, you know, about any given um, time or league or anything, because I like how they get access to certain aspects and maybe takes stories that might not be movie worthy but i i guess what i'm saying at the end of the day is i like the off-kilter stuff more than i like what would be produced for the mainstream which also explains my taste in music so (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you know it's 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 funny because um the things that i that i enjoy are the things that are funny right so like the seattle mariners have a long tradition of funny commercials and I enjoy their commercials because they're cute and they're funny and they're 30 seconds long. (laughs) But, 
you know, it's, it's, and then some minor leagues will, the teams will like do funny little things to get people's attention, their eyes on the AHL team that's local, that sort of thing. Um, and those are fun, but if you, I mean, hockey, the NHL in particular, let me, let me rephrase that. The NHL in particular takes itself far too seriously and they're not going to be willing to poke fun at themselves at all. And so even if you are able to, to get the behind the scenes stuff, to get the teams to work with you, to get the players to open up, it would still be like dreadfully serious and meaningful and not fun and light and entertaining. And it, it entirely, it, it would be entirely too conditioned. Yes. Well, and there's also the, like the whole, everything that's around the NHL, the production piece of the NHL, whether it's NBCSN or Hockey Night in Canada or Sportsnet or RDS or, or no matter what, they're all, it's not terribly well pulled together in a lot of ways. So like the NHL award show is a classic example of this where it's in Vegas so they can get people to show up. <laughs> but it's it's just cheesy and not cheesy in a fun way. Uh, it's what they're willing to spend and it's it's what they want to portray. You know, they're so guarded, but they also don't have the... It's not that they don't have the budget. They don't want to spend the money. Yeah. No, if they, if they don't have to, they won't. Yeah. So that... Go ahead, yeah, sir. Go ahead, Cassie. Well, right, I was just, just going to say, while you were talking, the the only legitimate way we would get a, a pure thing of joy and entertainment is if we got something by, like, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, where they're doing just complete parody on the way the league takes itself way too seriously in animated format. Where it have to be a complete joke to kind of release some semblance of truth about what's really happening. Well, I mean, you know, the NHL used to not take itself so seriously, or at least ESPN didn't take the NHL so seriously, because when ESPN had hockey, they were doing all the goofy stuff, like commercials and whatnot. And and it was all, I mean, some of those commercials were like highly entertaining. Like I remember when they had Chris Chelios, and they had a a faceless reporter ask him um, if he could ask a few questions. And and Chelio says, sure, where, where do you want me? And the uh, faceless reporter goes, oh, wherever you're comfortable. And so next thing you know is you see Chelio sitting in the penalty box, shuts the door and says, okay, you've got two minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like, that's like one of the best ESPN commercials, ESPN hockey commercials, I think. I mean, there's a number I, of them, but yeah. I remember a few of those. I mean, I, the one that sticks out for me Recently, and I don't want to. I don't want to delve off on this tangent too much, but there was one that they did. Um, God, probably four years after Braden Coburn was drafted, and it was him, and he'd had a rash of injuries. Um, and it was, it was, it was just a league-wide promo. It was him sitting there. Yeah, I broke my face while blocking a shot, but I came back. And he just kept doing that. He kept walking through all of his injuries, you know, saying, "Oh yeah, I did this." But I came back, 
you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I know we sort of bemoan the, the mythos of, you know, the, the hockey player is, you know, like the guy who, who's fighting through all his pain and everything. But I thought it was kind of funny that they sort of played to that, that directly. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there, it was, it was not part of like their normal vanilla campaign where they just showed highlights of players and, you know, Jonathan Taves that, uh, says I enjoy grocery shopping or something stupid like that. They at least had a little bit of humor to it. So yeah, Yeah. those ESPN commercials were classic. I mean, some of them were real. Some of these guys are actually really funny and then they turn on the camera and they're like vanilla. Um, The other one, the more, one of the more recent ones that, that I can remember before ESPN, you know, couldn't really do it anymore was, um, they had one with Ovechkin, and they played up on the whole, like, Russian spy thing. I don't know if you guys remember this one, <laughs> where they had they had Holtby talking about Ovechkin. Oh, yeah, he's a really great guy, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember what Holtby was saying, but then they had this uh, this file room where the, the ceiling tile moved, and it got pushed to the side, and then Ovechkin gets lowered down on this, like, cord... And and he's like rifling through files and <laughs> you know the whole spy thing. <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah, that was a uh, that was definitely a sports center commercial, which was uh-huh. even bigger deal because it wasn't branded specifically for an NHL audience. But it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know what? That's I. I mean, I've thought about it, but I've never thought about it. Is yeah, the the guardians of the of the image, the NHL won't wouldn't let some of that stuff fly. I think the the only one that I found moderately entertaining that the NHL produced was there was an All Star commercial where they were all like, um, though they sort of filmed at the hotel, and Ovechkin was ordering room service and handing you know all oh, yeah, this I wild stuff, yeah. and sending it to Crosby's room and. Other guys were putting like shaving cream, I think it was like in Marty Turco's hand as he was sleeping and then tickling, you know, a little bit of something to show their goofiness. Yeah. yeah. But by, or the, was the Sedines coming in and dancing? Yeah, there was yeah. a series of commercials and there was a men's bachelor party in a, in a hotel room, which seemed like the most NHL thing ever. Yeah, the cringeworthy one, yeah. How can we take Swedish twins? How can we suppress something that really happens and make it look bland? And but it was a clever concept and kind of funny because the players went along with it and they looked like they were having a laugh about it too. Yeah. And, well, you know, and plus they're just so awkward to begin with. Half those guys. <laughs> I mean, the re- the fact that we haven't seen a commercial of awkward photos with Connor McDavid yet. Because I think he would do it because there was that time, you know, a few years ago where people were awkwardly getting photos with him inside airports mm-hmm. um, or, you know, when he was, you know, found out he was going to Edmonton on a draft show or. Oh, my God. I, that picture. <laughs> I mean, they could totally like play it up and have a lot of fun with it. But of course, you know, the NHL is like, no, no, we are a serious sport. We must be serious. And it's like. Dude, you have a bunch of guys who have like great sense of humors and and some of them can even act a little bit. So why not take advantage of that? 
I'm sitting here going, God, just think about some of those commercials that Luongo's done for TSN in Canada. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. You know? Or PK Su- I mean, when PK wasn't part of NBC, so to speak, even some of the stuff that he was doing for Sportsnet in Canada, I mean, oh, God. Okay. Okay. I, I You know what? I don't want to get ranty today. <laughs> <laughs> I need to keep my chi. <laughs> All right, so this might be a good breaking point. And uh, do either of you guys have questions leading to next week, or am I going to throw something ridiculous at you? I'm I am o for three on questions recently. I don't have anything. So come up with something next week. Hit me with the ridiculousness. Okay. The NHL draft, as we know it, is dead. It's being abolished. It's wiped out with the next lockout. How would you propose? And, and, and maybe this turns into a brainstorming session next time. But how would you propose better ways or different ways to actually onboard 18, 19, 20-year-old hockey players into a league in two specific teams without it getting ridiculous? The draft, as we know, it's dead. The draft lottery, we don't have to worry about tanking. But what would be the next best way to move forward with bringing in new players see you put the qualifier on there without it getting ridiculous and this is the nhl we're talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> oh we're gonna get ridiculous <laughs> follow us on twitter 3v3 podcast this has been the 3v3 podcast sponsored by nobody